the 18th century preacher who, if you're in Steve's Sunday School class, I think you hear from week, weekly, probably. Um, he wrote this in his autobiography. I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn words of my good mother. It was the custom on Sunday evenings while we were yet children for her to stay at home with us and when we had sat around the table and read verse by verse and she explained the scripture to us. After that was done, then came the time of pleading. There was a little piece of uh, Aline's alarm or of Baxter's call to the unconverted. And this was read with pointed observations made to each of us as we sat around the table. And the question was asked, how long would it be before we would think about our state? How long before we would seek the Lord? Then came a mother's prayer. And some of the words of that prayer we shall never forget, even when our hairs are gray. I remember on one occasion her praying thus, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it is not, it will not be from ignorance that they perish, and my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. That thought of mothers bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. When I was a child, if I had done anything wrong, I did not need anybody to tell me of it. I told myself of it. And I have cried myself to sleep many a time with the conscience that I had done wrong. And when I had came to know the Lord, I felt very grateful to Him because He had given me a tender conscience. By God's grace, Spurgeon's mother witnessed to him and shared the glory of the gospel, which may be the testimony of you today. Maybe it was your mother who shared that gospel with you, who perhaps you didn't even know, but spent countless hours pleading before the Lord that he might save your soul. We're encountering today in Mark's gospel a mother like that, a mom who spent hours weeping and pleading for God to save her child. A mom who would go to great lengths to see her child saved by Jesus. Even breaking natural and normal customs of the day, going against what the culture said was okay, this mom pled before God that he would save her daughter. I invite you to turn this morning to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. We're moving right along and by God's providence we land on a passage about a mom. Today on Mother's Day. Fitting. I didn't plan that. It's just by God's providence that he does these things. Although I would say that the Bible of all Eastern oriented uh, works makes women out to be the heroes more than any other in that culture, which if you read other works written in that context, um, that's just not heard of. Women were seen to be foolish and ignorant and just needed to stay at home. But the Bible often uses women as the ones who get it, while the men stand foolishly not understanding who Christ is. Right? It's the women who were at the tomb that day, right? that saw the resurrection. Women were the ones who testified to the glory of the resurrection. 
by God's grace. Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed, in the bed, and the demon was gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And there there they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into the man's ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said, Ephaphtha. That is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What we see in this passage this morning is a faith that delights God. A faith that delights God and a model for taking the gospel to the nations. A faith that delights God and a model for sharing the faith once delivered to the saints. We see in the context here that Jesus has been confronting the religious leaders of the day. He's been confronting them over their views of the law, over their understanding of how one has access to God, And in the backdrop all along has been Jesus' disciples. We don't want to forget about them as we see Jesus dealing with people and healing people. Uh, They were there all the while. They were watching and they were learning. One of the things we also want to remind ourselves is that why Mark is writing and who he's writing to. So, for example, uh, if you were to read the book of Revelation, you might come away very confused, maybe even frustrated and not quite understanding what, the, what is going on in this story. But when you begin to understand why John was given this revelation to share with the people there in Ephesus, when we can understand that the people there in Ephesus were being persecuted, they were being burned, they were being uh, fed to lions, they, their world was crumbling around them. And then John receives a revelation. To summarize the book of Revelation, it would just simply be this. God wins in the end. Right? God wins. That's the point of the book of Revelation in a whole. God wins. God defeats his enemies. Though his enemies may seem fierce and strong, maybe like a red dragon coming out of the sea, in the end, a little baby born in Bethlehem is victorious over that red dragon. God wins. Well, when you hear a message about God winning, when you're facing... Difficulty and trial and suffering, you're reminded that God wins in the end. That's that's an immense encouragement to your soul. You're reminded that God is a good God and that sometimes we suffer. Mark is like that. Mark is giving 
the Christians in Rome who are facing similar persecution encouragement that Jesus is the Son of God. That they haven't put their faith in someone who was a, was a phony, was a fake. When we face temptation and difficulty and trial, we often doubt who God is. That's what the tempter wants us to do. We begin to doubt, is God really who he claims he is? And so Mark comes with words like this story, reminding us of the need for faith. The need for a persistent and and persevering faith. The the need to continually go out and share the message which we have received. That's the message that that these disciples are, are hearing. The disciples are seeing faith like they don't have. They don't have a, a persistent faith. They have a, a, a sort of a wimpy faith. A, 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 you know, when, when the waves came in, they got scared. And, and they're like, what do we do? And, and we'll see next week. They, they don't get it. Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and then he feeds 4,000 people. And then they get in a boat, and they don't have anything to eat, and they complain. I ain't got nothing to eat. What do you mean? Jesus just fed thousands of people with nothing, and you're complaining about food. You, they didn't get Jesus. They didn't understand who Jesus was. But here comes a... A Gentile woman. Here comes a Syrophoenician woman. A, a woman who was an outcast to a Jew. Someone who was, who was a dog. And displays a faith like none other. Let's look at this delightful faith. A delightful faith. We see three things about this delightful faith. First, it was persistent. Second, it was humble. And third, it was trusting. It was persistent, it was humble, and it was trusting. Let's look at her persistent faith. We're told by Mark that there Jesus went into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, if you are familiar with Old Testament prophecy, was probably the one place you weren't, as a Jew, going to move to. Read Isaiah's prophecy about Tyre and Sidon, one day burning to the ground in judgment by God. You probably weren't going to look for real estate in Tyre and Sidon, knowing that God was one day going to completely burn it away. But Tyre and Sidon was made up of people, a mixed race of mainly Greek or Hellenized folks, some Jews, some uh, Syrians, a very uh, eclectic kind of group. It was, it was a Greek, and it was a Greek uh, area uh, had been conquered by Alexander the Great, and, and, and so it was an area by which God was going to judge one day because they were a wicked and very perverse people. They were people who were outside of the covenant of God's grace. They were not part of the new Jewish nation. Uh, they were uh, not part. They couldn't just go to the temple. They weren't allowed to be there. They weren't allowed to worship God. They, they were outside of God's plan of salvation. And here comes this woman. Begs Jesus. Heal my daughter. We don't moan anything about this woman. We don't even know her name. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 15, records the, uh, the same story and, and gives vivid detail to it. And, and even there, we don't, we don't mention her name. Not even mention who she is. She, she is just a woman who comes, who, who has a little daughter, a little girl, who has an unclean spirit, who, who's demon-possessed. And I'm sure many of us today could just, just read ourselves right into that. 
Probably nothing stirs our hearts more than a child, helpless and unable to heal themselves or to become well. A little child, sick. A little child, demon-possessed. A little child, uncontrolled. She comes weeping. Imagine this woman was most likely very distraught. She was desperate, if you will. And she comes and begs Jesus. Look what she says. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, heard of Jesus, and came and fell down at his feet. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her. In Matthew's Gospel, the disciples, apparently this woman was a, a bit of a, a naggy little woman. She, uh, she wouldn't just take no for an answer, right? She kept going, and, and his disciples say this, Jesus, will you deal with this woman over here? She won't leave us alone. She keeps going, and she keeps going, and she keeps going. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. This woman, she's coming, and send her away, for she's crying out after us. Bothering us. He won't shut up. Won't leave us alone. She's just going on about her kid being sick. Jesus, deal with this woman. She's persistent. Persistent in crying out to God. What a beautiful picture of prayer. Crying out to God in prayer. Crying out. She's begging him, please heal my child. Like Abraham. Crying out. God, God, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? If you find just 50 righteous people, will you spare? God says, yes, I'll spare you for 50. Will you, will you spare it for, for, for 45 people? For Abraham, persistently praying to God. You see in this woman, a persistent crying out. She begged him. She begged him earnestly. But not only was she persistent in prayer, but she was, she was humble. Notice that she came and fell down at his feet. She recognized her position before God. This was a woman, as I've already said, who, who knew she was outside of the covenant of grace. And you and I might read this and you might think, man, this isn't Jesus. I, I don't know. Jesus cast this woman away. Jesus doesn't immediately heal this woman. Jesus says, no, I didn't come to save you. I didn't come to help you. This, I came for the Israelites. I came for the Jewish people. You're, you're outside of that covenant. So she humbly comes and pleads. And you might think, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus cast her away? We might read this and might think, man, Jesus is hard on her. He's rough, a little, a little rough here, Jesus. I mean, she has a little kid that's hurt. What's the deal? I think to understand that, we have to understand a bit of God's justice. God's grace to save sinners. When we come to the Bible with the position that God should save everyone, we have a very bad or maybe misunderstanding about human sinfulness. Human sin tells us that God should perfectly and wondrously and gloriously judge us eternally. That is, if God does not act in mercy, well, then every one of us deserves eternal damnation. 
But God did act in mercy. And he did it in a particular way. And he called Abraham out of the Ur, the Chaldeans. He called him. It wasn't because Abraham was special. It wasn't because Abraham had it all going on. No, Abraham was a wicked man just like everyone else. He had his idols and his tent that he worshipped. But God said, no, Abram, I'm calling you. I'm going to be your God and you will worship me and I will make a nation for my name and for my glory and I will save that nation as a picture of what I will do among all nations. The nation of Israel was to be the light to the nations. The nation of Israel was to be the one bright and shining star that that would tell others about God's great and grand glory. Like Solomon in his wisdom and Queen Sheba comes and wants to know what, what is the source of this great wisdom and knowledge. It was the God of creation, the God of glory. But see, Israel failed in that task. Israel failed because they lived a life of sin. Rejected God. Didn't want God to be king. and, and They didn't want to worship God. So God judged them. But Christ came. Christ came as the new and better Adam, as we sang earlier. He came as the new Israel. He came to... Tell the world about Christ and about the glory of God in salvation. And what we see in this passage is that although this woman has no seat at the table, the table is about to get a lot bigger. This woman recognizes that she is not welcome at Abraham's table. She knows it. And she comes, look, she says, Jesus says, let the children be fed first. The children, he's referring here to the nation of Israel. Let them be fed first. Do you see it? Implied? Second? In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom of darkness will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was Jesus' word to a Gentile centurion. The table is getting bigger. Jesus is saying, first I'm going to the nation of Israel And ultimately, they will reject me just as they have rejected me centuries before. They will reject me again. And hanging me on a cross. And what we are seeing here is that Jesus is slowly and subtly shifting. Under the new covenant, the new covenant isn't, isn't ethnically defined. It's not about one particular people group. But the nations are included. We see also in here a trusting. She recognizes that she has nothing. She recognizes that she is not welcome to the table. But notice her trust. Yes, Lord, that even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She recognizes humbly her position. 
and she trusts. God, be merciful to me. Dogs need masters, don't they? She's recognizing that the God, you are my master. The Lord, you are my master. That, that I'm coming and submitting myself. I'll even eat the crumbs. I have nothing. Just a crumb from the Lord's table is sufficient. It's glorious, isn't it? And we're reminded in Hebrew chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. And this woman displays a faith like none other. A faith that delights Jesus. And he says, woman, listen. For this statement, your child is healed. Her faith was a demonstration of God's mercy to save her. And she trusted in Him. And she is a model for us. Brother or sister, when is the last time you cried out after God? Like her. Falling on the ground and pleading with God. Save me. Help me. I have nothing but what you give. We must recognize, like her, our spiritual bankruptcy. We are bankrupt. There is nothing that we offer to God that He takes and polishes up and cleans up. No, friends, we have nothing in our accounts. Our accounts are depleted. They're empty. And we have a debt that is owed which no amount of time will ever be able to pay back. It is an immense load. It drives us to our knees. It drives us to recognize that we are dogs eating crumbs. We're the lowest of the low. But God shows mercy, doesn't He? God is gracious to save those that come to Him with nothing. With nothing. And through faith and repentance, He saves us by the blood of Christ. By His sacrifice and not ours. This delightful faith propels us then to share it with others. We see in the second narrative, though it may seem so slightly disconnected from the preceding one, Jesus is continuing his ministry among the Gentiles. He shows us what the faith of a Gentile looks like. And, and by the way, I, I've used that and I, I should have clarified what that is. If you use that word Gentile and you're like, I have never heard that word in my life. Um, that's okay. Um, a Gentile is basically a non-Jew. So Jews and everyone else, all right? So uh, if, if you're an ethnic Jew today, uh, you are not a Gentile, okay, in Bible words, although probably you uh, are, are, you know, have some delusion in your family line. But, but we'll say if, if you're pretty much everyone in here most likely is going to be uh, a Gentile, 
All right. So that so when we say Gentiles, we're basically saying that we had no hope of the gospel coming to us unless God radically saved us and called us from darkness into light. We had no hope. But as we read in Ephesians 3 together, we saw that the gospel has gone, gone to all people. That, it, that it's not restricted to one particular nationality. It's not one you know, particular people group, one language group. It, it's all people. And so we can go and share the gospel with all people. Not just Jew. Not just American or or Western versus Eastern, or English versus Spanish, or it's no cultural barriers, right? Marylanders and Virginians, or West Virginians, we can all get along and share the gospel together, right? Because God is gloriously in bringing in people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. For His glory, and it will be wondrous. You want to read more about that? Revelation 5. Revelation 5, John gets to go to heaven and see in eternity future all of us worshiping from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it is tremendously amazing. And so what we see here in Jesus' healing of this deaf man, a model for ministry to the nations. What I hope and that you get and I hope that you see is a broken heart for all people. Not just your people, right? Not just people like you, but for all people. And remember, the disciples are seeing all of this. They are seeing a more effective faith where their faith is defective. Maybe this morning your faith is defective. How then do we reach the nations? Do we have a heart for lost? I want you to notice first in the story of this deaf man is that the faith of the deaf man's friends we saw this in the man, the lame man that was healed, that got lowered down from the roof. We see this again, and see these people's faith? There's 31, and then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon into the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. This man was a social outcast. This man was unclean. This man was, would not have been welcome to the temple. This man would not have been welcome among Jews. His deformity, his speech and deafness would have culturally, even among Gentiles, put him out of most circles. Yet he had a few friends. And notice his friend's faith. They take him to the source of all healing, to Jesus. What I want you to see from this is really four things. First, a look. Second, a sigh. Thirdly, a touch. And fourthly, a word. First, a look. Notice Jesus' look to heaven. Jesus invites this man in privately, and he looks up to heaven. He looks to heaven. It shows us that Jesus was dependent upon his Father all throughout his ministry. A reminder of our own need for God. 
and our dependency upon God. If Jesus, the Son of God, was dependent upon his Father, how much more we need to be dependent upon God in our lives. As we saw in the woman before in her persistent prayer and her persistent pleading. And so we see here another example of a dependency upon God. And as we think about sharing the gospel, it begins with a dependency upon God. A faithful God, if you don't save sinners, no one will. My little kids or my friends or my neighbors or my nation or this world has no hope unless you save. Unless you hear our prayers and answer. And some may say, well, you know, if God's dependent upon our prayers, no, 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 no. God's not dependent on our prayers to act. He graciously invites us into his plans through our prayers. We get to participate in the work of God through prayer. What a gracious God. We see, secondly, that he sighed. He looked up to heaven and he sighed. We see a genuine compassion here in our Savior. A genuine compassion for this man's brokenness. The Creator standing there, looking in his eyes. And all the pain that he has felt in his life, living in deafness, living in, with a speech impediment, being laughed at, ridiculed, cast away. The Creator looks at this man knowing this is not how this was supposed to look. Jesus created that man. This was not how this was supposed to happen. This is not what His creation was to look like. Like a painter seeing his artwork destroyed. So Jesus, the Master Creator, seeing His creation marred and destroyed, He sighed. His compassion. He has genuine compassion on this man. Do we have genuine compassion for those who are destined to an eternal damnation? Do, do we have any ounce of feeling about that? Like thinking about our co-workers? If they were to die, you know where they would be. Without hope, suffering eternally? Do we believe in hell or do we not? And if we do, does that not propel us with a compassion to plead with their souls? We see thirdly, a touch. Backing up to verse 33, we see that Jesus took this man aside privately. And he touched him. Here again, we as Gentiles, as non-Jews, don't get the real force of this. This is a no-no. <laughs> you don't touch deaf people. Why? Because that deafness, it, it, it could be a disease that you catch. right? It makes you unclean. Jesus, you touch him, you can't go to the temple. Jesus, you touch him, you don't have access to God anymore. Because of your uncleanness. But I just want to emphasize again, Jesus takes that which is unclean and makes it clean. That which is defiled, he undefiles. 
He takes that which is impure and makes it pure. That is the power that Jesus has. And just notice here, Jesus first. It's just you can't you can't help but just like be captivated by this. He first he sticks his finger in the guy's ear. You know, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, you imagine his disciples there. Jesus, what are you doing today? Why are you doing this, right? Um, Jesus, you could have just done this with a word. He healed a daughter, that daughter, with a word. But here he's got to touch the guy's ear and put his finger in his mouth. and Like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? Jesus is demonstrating here his power to heal in various ways. Jesus isn't limited to the same old, same old. God doesn't do the same thing the same way all the time. Jesus never did. He, he's always healing people in different ways, demonstrating his uniqueness and power and authority, and to demonstrate the radical need for our own healing. True compassion doesn't just feel, it touches. True compassion doesn't just feel, it touches. Jesus doesn't just stand off, be healed. He gets in the messy. He gets in the dirt. He gets in the mud. He gets in the mess of our lives, and he radically transforms them. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go touch anybody's tongue. But Jesus does. To demonstrate the radical lengths he goes to to get in our lives, to change us, and to see that he cares. Fourth is a word. Verse 34, and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Be opened. A word of grace here, a word, a pronouncement of good news. This man was deaf and he heard. Be open. He heard it. For the first time in his life perhaps. We don't know if he was born deaf. He heard it. He heard the good news. Brothers and sisters, this is an example of our own deafness spiritually. Our need to hear. Our need to hear the words of the gospel. Words of grace. That's what we do. We look unto Christ. We pray. God saves sinners. We groan. We sigh with genuine compassion for lostness. And we go and touch their lives. We go where they are. We don't just stand off in afar and say, hey, um, we'll just give you some money. Figure it out on your own. No, we go where they are at and we tell them about Christ. We don't send other people. We don't do have others do our dirty work. We go ourselves and we tell them about the grace of God and how He saved a sinner like me. That's what He does here. Look at these people. Verse 36, And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more He charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Jesus didn't want people to have the wrong understanding of who he was. It's not that Jesus didn't want people to share the gospel. It's just that 
more revelation was needed. He needed to go to the cross and, and he needed to die for his sins and, and to have the Holy Spirit come. There, there, was, there was a process and so he didn't want people to have the wrong idea about who he was. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He was a savior. People's primary need isn't to be healed physically, but to be healed, healed spiritually. That's the point here, why he's, he's reining them back. He doesn't want them to get the wrong idea. But notice how zealous they are to share the gospel. How zealous they are to tell people about Jesus. And Matthew, or Mark, excuse me, tries in his best way to explain how astonished they were in verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure. They weren't just astonished. They were astonished beyond measure. They were falling all over themselves. They could not figure out how, how this was happening. And they were glorifying God that He has done all things well. It was a jaw-dropping amazement in the power of Christ. And they worshipped Him and gloried in Him. And they recognized their need for Christ. And the power that He had to heal their souls. Friends, our greatest need today is for us to hear spiritually. Is to plead before God that we might hear His words. Be open is our prayer. Open our hearts, O God, that we might hear Your word and be changed by it. Many have heard the words of Christ. Like Judas, they fell on deaf ears and were not changed by them. Do you recognize your need for Christ today? Your desperation for Christ today in your life? Daily the need for Christ? Do you have upon your lips the song, All I have is Christ. Do you have the words of, of Augustus Toplady? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee. Helpless. Spiritually bankrupt. Apart from Christ. Are you helpless today? Do you have a sense of despair Maybe a lack of hope. Friend, I want to invite you to trust in Christ today. Beg Him today to save your soul. And He is freely waiting to save you. Look to Jesus and be saved today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We pray that it would change us and transform us. Oh Father, we recognize that we are spiritually deaf apart from Christ. We are desperately in need of hearing you. Oh, Father, may our hard hearts be softened today. Please let us not leave without our hearts being transformed. Father, may we be gripped by your glorious grace. Christ has come to save sinners like us. Father, may our faith just grow. May we have a delightful faith in our lives. And Father, may we go and share this glorious news with others around us for your glory. For your greatness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.